Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Before Frank Gore got injured, he was the best I had ever seen till this day. And when I saw him drop back in coverage and get that interception, I was I was honestly in shock. It, it felt like it felt like like my body went numb. I was all I always liked Eli's quarterback, but he made me a fan that day. I was like, that's a bad white boy. Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash allthingscovered. So make sure, you, make sure you're subscribed and turn on your alerts so you can get the show right away. Pat P, what are we going to cover on this episode? Yo, Mac, man, the Vike fans been loving our skull check-in. Yes, sir. So we got to give them a little sneak peek on the minicamp, uh, on our minicamp expectations. Mm-hmm. We're going to check with a South Florida great and a Super Bowl champ, Antrell Roll. He went to the U, Mac, since you ain't going to say it. I'm, gonna I'm say not going to say that. He went to the U. I ain't going to put up a symbol, but he went to the U. <laughs> Stay tuned. Ladies and gents, the first quarter of our show, you know what we do. We chop it up. And during this chopping it up segment, this is a very, very special, special week. Juneteenth is later this week. So we're not going to highlight anything football related. We're just going to highlight social life related, relatable things. And for us being African-Americans, this is a very, very special, special date. Juneteenth is also called Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, Emancipation Day. Uh, Juneteenth is a holiday celebrated on June 19th uh, to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved people in the U.S. The holiday uh, was celebrated in Texas in 1865. Uh, The Emancipation Proclamation happened in 1862, but the official celebrating year was 1865, June 19th. And because Juneteenth is happening later this week, we like to kind of highlight some of the things the NFL has been doing. So you look at some of the steps the league has made over the past year or so uh, to promote uh, not just Juneteenth, but social justice. Uh, They've donated a lot of money. Uh, This time last year, the NFL committed $250 million over a 10-year span to combat uh, somatic racism. They've also done a great job in recognizing June, June 19th as an official holiday all offices associated with the National Football League will be closed. So that's a great, great sight to see. And I think they will continue to do other things as well. The NFL and the Senior Bowl, they will host an HBCU combine starting this upcoming season to highlight some of the outstanding uh, football players that are playing in HBCU programs so they can get a a fair opportunity to showcase their talent and their skill set to be able to be drafted. So hearing these things and knowing what June, June, Juneteenth means to all of us, to say the least, especially African-Americans, you know, how does that make you feel? What, what are your feelings knowing the NFL? They're doing 
uh, more than just, you know, donating money to really support the cause and make things a little fair when it comes to, you know, individuals not having the same platform as some other guys? You know, I think it's a start. You know, I think they're definitely moving in the right direction as far as bringing more awareness to social injustice, the, you know, the whole reasoning behind June 19th. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I feel like we, we still got a ways to go. You know, it's, it's a start, you know, in, in the right direction. But, you know, I want to see more coaches have more opportunities. You no know, question. I want not just, you know, having – you know, African American uh, coaches at just a, a position. I want to. I want to see what those guys have more power than what they have. You know what I mean. So, really, make it feel like it's freedom. You know what I mean? Because it's it's still a bunch of you know African American American coaches that feel like you know they're handcuffed. So mm-hmm. I think they still need to do a better opportunity of honoring the the Rooney Rule of, of making sure that more people of color. Not just, you know, just not African-Americans, but other minorities in general have the same opportunity that, you know, whites have. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what's really going to start to get this thing in the right direction, because we see it every year to where we have a number of, of black coaches on that, 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 you know, that coaching panel that, you know, that's uh, for coaching vacancies. And nine times out of ten, I, I feel like they don't really get a fair shot. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, with them stepping up to the plate and, you know, committing a $250 million over the next 10 years is just a, a great start. But I feel like, you know, it's so much more I feel that needs to be done, you know, to in order for us to feel like we're on the same playing field so we can feel equal, so we can actually feel like we're free because, you know, just what, not too long ago, you know, we had opportunities to, to really break the barrier of having – African-American coaches hired, but we dropped the ball again. You know what I mean? I don't know what what it what it is or what's causing organizations to not give these coaches of colors or coaches of minority an opportunity to lead a football team. But um, I think the league is definitely uh, doing a great job of, uh, of getting a ball rolling. And, yeah. and it's definitely exciting to see. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Eddie George, uh, the Dion's of the world, getting into those HBCU avenues to where, you know, now we can, you know, have an opportunity to, to, to get our, our youth, our community on a higher level, because we know HBCUs don't get many looks, but it's a lot of talent that come out of HBCUs. Yes, sir. So I think now having the HBCU combine will, will just open the door for a lot more coaches because, you know, a lot of great Coaches are in the HBCU. A lot of a great black coaches are in the HBCU, but they don't have the opportunity to showcase what they have. But I think now having a combine for those guys, being able to, you know, have those kids showcase their talent coming from those HBCUs, I believe now it's going to open the eyes of like now seeing like, oh, black coaches can really coach players. You know, they can really run an organization. They can really get guys to where they need to be. They can motivate guys. You know, I, I, I feel like everybody on this earth is on the same playing field. We just don't have the same opportunities. Yep. And also, too, you look at your new home team, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Minnesota has been a voc- vocal point, uh, you know, of the social justice movement. I mean, the owners of the Vikings have pledged to try and make a positive change. So that's a plus to see the organization, you know, trying to step forward and doing better things to make it a a fair playing field, to say the least. And one thing I would like to see the NFL do 
is do a better job in educating and bringing more light to iconic individuals that you know are African Americans. Like when you look at Major League Baseball, you know they have Jackie Robinson Day, right? Mm -hmm. That happens every year. Pat P, have you ever heard of Kenny Washington? No, I haven't. See, that's the thing. I didn't either until I had I had to do some research, right? Kenny Washington, for our listeners and our viewers that are tuning in to us, All Things Covered, Pat P, Brian McFadden, Kenny Washington was the first black player to play in the modern NFL. Mm. Went to UCLA, played halfback, set a college record, a then college record for, th for having over 3,200 yards of total offense. Was an All-American in 1940. He also played baseball at UCLA with Jackie Robinson. They played mm -hmm. together. But because the NFL had bl banned black players, when he graduated from UCLA, he wasn't able to play because they did not allow black players to play in the league. Mm -hmm. So he became a LA cop. He became a teacher. Uh, he played in minor league leagues for a few years. And then eventually when the second world war ended, they forced the NFL to change their policies. So at that time, the Rams were located in Cleveland. So they relocated to LA and for them to avoid losing their lease at the LA Memorial Coliseum, the league mandated that they draft a black player. And that said player that they drafted was Kenny Washington, also known as the Kingfish. That was his nickname, a heck of a nickname, by the way. He only played a few years King. for the Rams. Yeah, he only played a few years for the Rams King. because his knees were so beat up for playing in, for playing in the minor league uh, that he did. But he was the first black player to play in the modern NFL era. Kenny Washington. He died in 1971 at the age of 52. But like you didn't know who he was. Uh -huh. I didn't know who he was. That's something that I wish the NFL would do more of. Educating, you know, showing, giving, their, giving guys like Kenny Washington his flowers, even though he's not here. I'm pretty sure his family would love to hear his name be highlighted and echoed echoed throughout the National Football yeah, League throughout the world. Because like you never hear about, like I never knew, though obviously to the day, who was the first NFL black player. Yeah, in the modern NFL. In the modern, yep. in the modern era, mm -hmm. especially. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Kenny definitely deserves a day because, you know, he opened the door for all of us who playing the game today. Yeah, and think about this. So he broke down the, the color barrier in the NFL in 1946. Right. And a year later, his college baseball teammate, Jackie Robinson, broke down the baseball color barrier in Major League. So right. Kenny Washington just wasn't a, 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 a difference maker in football, but he also was a difference maker in sports because he was the first. And then Jackie Robinson followed him a year later in 1947. Yep. That's huge. That's, that's big. I love it. No doubt. No doubt. Now it's time for Skull Check-In. But before we get into Skull Check-In, make sure you stay with us on the opposite, opposite side of the half. Andrell Rose, Super Bowl champion, college All-American will be joining us on the opposite side of the half. But now let's attack the Vikings side of things. Skull Check-In. Pat P, this is a very, very important week for Minnesota, for the Vikings, for the organization. Mini camp will start. Minicamp expectations is this skull check-in topic. For Pat P, you've been in the league for quite some time, but break down 
the difference between mini camps and OTAs? Um, honestly, Mac, there's no real big difference. Uh, I, you know, I think mini camp is more getting guys geared up for how an in-season practice will go or how training camp is going to be. I think it's just, you know, OTAs is just getting, you know, getting us prepared, obviously going through all the plays, make sure everybody knows their checks, everybody knows where they, where they need to be. And mini camp is just like a, a ramp up from that. And then obviously mm-hmm. training camp is training camp. So, you know, my expectations throughout this, this mini camp that's going to happen uh, this week is uh, we had a great OTAs, you know, yeah. uh, you know great key, team chemistry. Now we're just under, uh, going out there and just getting used to, training camp like what practice is going to be like you know mm-hmm. because we were practicing because mini camp you have two practices a day right uh i think are they still there not mistaken i think it's tuesday wednesday thursday i think it's three days but it's two is it two practices a day or just one it's just one but okay it, just but one. meetings are a little bit longer so you you know you'll meet in the morning do your workout go practice then you uh-huh. gotta come back and you know clean up the film that you that you watch uh that you uh that you put on tape uh in that morning practice you know get all the kinks out and then the next day you do it all over again. So it's just gotcha. like a, it's just like a a shorter version of the in season practice versus OTAs is just like you're out there for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. get your workout in, and you and you back at the house. Gotcha. You know, versus you get out of the building around one o'clock doing OTAs. You know, versus many camps you get out of the building around three thirty. You know, so yep. it's just about a two hour uh, long longer period, but um. You know, we, we, we've been looking really, really good. You know, um, a lot of guys are, uh, all the guys have been here for the most part. And, you know, guys. That's a, that's are, a great sign. That's a great yeah, sign. Hear guys that. have it on their mind to where, you know, we have to get together to understand one another, to make sure that we can trust one another when we're out there on the field, to where, you know, the chips and the dominoes going to fall where they need. You know, so yeah. minicamp OTAs, well, OTAs have been great. I'm looking for a great minicamp as well. Hey, and I know you spoke about, you know, I asked you a few weeks ago when you guys first got involved in OTAs, players that stuck out to you, you highlighted Dalvin Cook. No surprise there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, upon finishing OTAs and now getting ready for mini camps, uh, mini camp, have, is there another player that kind of have stuck out to you? Like, yo, I mean, this this guy could really be a big ass, asset for what we're trying to do during the season. Is there another guy that have caught your eye? Um... Yeah, it's it's a couple guys, man. Xavier Woods, safety. Which, yep. Yeah, been really good with this man. Just a just a seasonal vet, you know. Always going to be where he needs to be. Going to make the right checks. Going to make the right calls. You know, just a smooth criminal. You know, mm-hmm. I, I he don't know this yet, but I call him Daddy Smooth, man, because he he don't okay. say any words, but when he out there, he just he's always where he needs to be. And my second player, this is no surprise, you know, watching from afar for so many years and being able to grow up with him was Justin. You know, I think I told uh, Harrison this maybe like three days ago. I was like, man, that 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 Justin, he get it, man. And I think we and we talked about it, mm-hmm. you know, not before I was even his teammate when we when we had him on the episode. You know, you could just tell he's one of those guys that get it. Comes into work, he's a pro. I mean, very efficient in practice. Just so just 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 a guy that seems like he's been in the league for four or five years. Yeah. You know, and that's very rare that you can see a second year that you can look at a second year player and be like, damn, he he's been here before, but he he really hasn't. And then that's just a credit to his family. Obviously the way he go about his business and and, and what he wants to what he wants his career to be. You know, what I mean you can uh, tell he wants to be special. He loves the game. Big things. And he loves coming to work every day. I, I tell you this in minicamp, this one I knew 
Justin wanted wanted to get good. So our last day of OTAs last, I think it was Thursday. Justin didn't want to go at no other corner but me. Really? That's my first time I ever got called out. Uh. <laughs> I was on the bench. All right, I had just got I just got a rep done. We had just went a rep, maybe like maybe three of maybe three or two reps. He me and him went and we were just doing releases. Yeah. He put his helmet on and said, Yo, Pat, I need you. I said, all right, okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I you know, and I, and I gave him the look that, you know, that he want because, you know, he wants to get better. And just seeing that, hearing that, being around him every day is a pleasure because I've seen that when he was a kid. Like we talked about before, like I've seen him since he was 11, 12 years old and he always had that about him. Mm-hmm. And not to be his teammate. Yo. Justin, the real deal. You got to love that. We re-released the Justin Jefferson episode uh, last week, and we asked viewers to comment how many touchdowns they think uh, Jefferson will have in 2021. Uh, Everyone said said over 10. Yeah, I'm going to say 10 plus. At seven last year, you're saying at least 10. 10 plus. No doubt. I think that's a a doable number. Yeah, That's a doable number. And I can tell you this much. If he continues to go in the direction we believe he will go in, he can easily jump into that top 10 wide receiver conversation hey mac go to go back you remember when we was talking about releases and running routes right yep with, mm-hmm. with justin yep dog he ran a route on me right so i had to ask him like what was that route like like <laughs> tell me like what was that it wasn't a red zone and but he sold it so well to where I, it literally i i didn't know what route it was it was it was just like a dino but he sold the out so well to where you know, because it was in the red zone. It was in the red zone. I think it was like plus fifteen, maybe. He had a cut mm-hmm. split, and you know, most of the time when DB and when receivers run like that angle out, yeah, they're trying to get on a cut split. They're trying to get back to the the DB's uh, outside shoulder because that's where the most room the quarterback can throw the ball. Mm-hmm. We was in the I can't, I can't remember what coverage we was in, but I had a middle field safety. So you had a safety in middle inside of you. Yes, I had a safety inside of me at the fifteen mm-hmm. yard line. And he sold the out so well. I still was in position, but he sold the out so well with, and it was with his feet. It wasn't even with his eyes. You know, most DB, I mean, most receivers, you know, look this way, yeah, uh, trying to, you know, throw off the what's name. But he sold it so well to where when he came to me, when the red zone, obviously, we know we got to be slow because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we we protecting the goal line. No question. But he ran up to me on like on a a little bit of a, a of a stem outside to the bottom of the numbers. And he did. He he almost hit like a euro step. It, it literally was like a euro step, man. I kid you not. <laughs> yeah. he, uh, went out, came back. No, so I'm sorry. He went in and went out for a hard two steps and came and back. Came back oh. in. Yes. So after practice, I said, like, "Yo, Jay." So it's basically he he had a cut split, which is a tight split. He. Yeah. outside release to your outside shoulder yes. like he's going to run an out or a fade ball hit you with yes. an in hit you with an out and then hit you out right back with an in so it was like a skin it was like a quick skin it was a skinny yeah, man it was it was a dino they call it a dino dino oh yeah 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 post it's, it's that post corner post yes that's exactly. what it is that post so corner it was, post it was like uh it was it was, i was like man you really got me like he, he i mean he didn't get me cuz I, I i was under the, i was under the route and i had safety inside but i was yeah. so ready to break on that out route to where it was like damn like the way he gave me like three so, moves in one so let me, let me let me let me understand this so basically because like you said most wide receivers they either give you that head 
to right. the head placement to look to, to kind of get you off your off your leverage, or they get you with the shoulders. He literally got you with his legs. Man, it was like I kid you not, Mac. It was like the euro. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a it's an unorthodox style right. of running routes. And remember, I mentioned that to him when he was on the show. When you watch him run routes, he runs routes that they're not usually a coaching method for other wide receivers. Right. He run run routes the only way that he can run routes. He's the only man that can run routes how he runs routes because it's not an an a, an orthodox style. Right. It's all, and remember yeah, I told him, you him, he has a lot he has a lot of Stevie Johnson in him. I was just about to say that Stevie, Stevie Johnson, Johnson yeah. Keenan Allen, yeah, and, uh, Justin yeah. Jefferson, yeah, the league of their own when it comes to like they they really bought basketball to the football field. No question. Kid you not. Yeah. All his routes looks like he's dribbling a basketball. Right. And you you just mentioned it, yeah. Keenan Allen is almost like Justin Jefferson's a mixture of Keenan Allen and Stevie Johnson with his route running ability. And what you just said, he hit you with that in, out, in, and didn't didn't utilize his head or his shoulders, utilized his legs. And and another crazy thing, (laughs) if I didn't break stride, Mac. Oh, it was was in in stride. In stride. Oh, so you got to react fast. And if the ball is placed where it's supposed to play, be placed at correctly, it's a touchdown. Yeah. Unless you guess correctly. That's the thing. You If you guess, you better be right. Got to be right. And just hope that it's not a perfect pass. Man, that's unique right there. But yeah, he has an unorthodox style of running routes that he only could execute. And he's been executing it for a long, long time. And that's why he's so successful. And that's why he's so hard to cover. Because he's running routes in a way that we're not used to seeing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like we're not used to seeing like bang bang tight routes. It's almost like he's setting you up to cross you over. And right. he does. And you know who also has that little crossover game also? Uh Devontae Adams. Yes. He has he has a little bit of that in him as well. The basketball to the football field. But his, uh, last, he's more like in the red zone. Like he's yeah. more like he get more crafty in the red zone because he understands that DBs are playing with leverage and we're we're using the sideline and other things for protection. So he does a great job in the red zone of selling that fade route coming back down to the front pylon. He do, do a great job of, you know, selling that slant, slant and coming back down to the pylon. Like Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest back shoulder throwers, uh, probably one of the best placement yeah. throwers that I've ever been around. So yeah, it's, it's, it's better for him in the red zone, but far as when he's in the field, he's a little bit more, you know, traditional, but in the red zone, that's when he get a little crafty. No question. That's good. That's good. And speaking of Justin Jefferson, last thing before we uh, transition to has Pat heard, we're currently in school check in, getting some updates uh, uh, with the current Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins uh, says he will be an open book for Kellen Munn, which is great to hear. Also, another great thing to hear is the Vikings inform Kirk Cousins that they will they would take a quarterback at some point in time in the draft. So Kirk Cousins got the notification that Aaron Rodgers didn't get two years ago. <laughs> you would think if you were that said organization franchise quarterback, they would let you know at some point in time, we're probably going to try to take a quarterback if that guy's available. Kirk right. Cousins received that information. Aaron Rodgers did not. Green Bay Packers, you should have took a snippet out of the Vikings book on how to treat your quarterbacks if you're happy with them. But he said he will be an open book for Kirk, uh, for Kellen Munn. I'm sorry, second round draft pick from Texas A&M. Uh, what have you seen from Kirk Cousins with his play and his leadership? And what are your early impressions of Kellen Mond? Um, You know, Kirk has been great. Kirk, um, you know, Captain Kirk has been Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. Yeah, he's been sharp. 
you know, get putting the ball where he needs to be. And, and Curry has a great cast around him to, to have, you know, two, two receivers, a tight end and a running back, and now get, uh, you know, beefing up the offensive line this year and having one of his best completion ratings in the season last year. Mm-hmm. I think the sky's a limit for him. You know, now we just got to go out there and continue building on, you know, what they started last yeah. year. You know, making sure that you put the balls in the right in, in, in the right players' hands, like we talked about earlier with Antrell, con- converting on third downs. You know, not turning the ball over. You know, that's the biggest thing about NFL quarterbacks. You know, obviously you need you need defense to to play well. You know, whenever the quarterback's not on, but that's the greatest thing about Tom Brady, man. You know, he understands what he means to the football team. He understands what his play means to the outcome of the football game as well. To in order to give your team the best position, uh, the best opportunity to win football games is limiting turnovers, convert on third downs. And yeah. if you're able to do that and have a solid defense that's able to get on, you know, make a couple stops on third downs, obviously not letting teams score in the red zone, that's a good recipe for success. You know, mm-hmm. It's just going to come down to us as a defense of uh, not letting teams score and to Kurt, you know, managing the offense in the, in, in the way that he did last year, you know, not yeah. putting us in bad positions, making sure that, you know, we always have a chance. Yeah. And Kellen Munn, I'm sorry, I, I oh, missed sorry. He, he was a third round selection, not second round, third round selection. Uh, Kellen uh, have an opportunity to not really see what he has because he's, I, He's been getting a little bit of time with the twos and the threes. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time when I'm, when, I'm, when we're on the sideline, we kind of correcting ourselves. You know what? So we, you're not really watching. Yeah, exactly. But you know, early on, seeing him, uh, I think it was last week where he got a little bit more, a little bit more burn. You could definitely tell that the game is coming to him. You know, the game is. And, and we know as rookies, you know, everything is moving so fast, especially, you know, when all the bets come around and and, and those days start to, to kind of blend in together. But you could tell he's going to be a good one. And you saw that that same process when he was at uh, Texas A&M with, uh, with uh, Florida State, uh, ex-Florida State head coach Jimbo. Jimbo, yep. Um, you know, you can tell that he have great quarterback quarterback mannerism. He's just going to come. Mm-hmm. It's just going to come down to him understanding the scheme, learning the scheme and understanding, like we talked about, you know, what, you know, how important he is to the team, you know, because most teams that most, most losing teams, they're always at the top in freaking turnovers. Yep. They can't convert on third downs. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to come down to, to those uh, two, two point of emphasis throughout the season to, to see if we can, you know, be what we want to be. And obviously for, for Collins, uh, uh, Kellen's uh, future, you know, that we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. There you have it. Skull check in. Big time week for the Minnesota Vikings. Mini camp is coming up. Now it's for your favorite part of the show. Has Pat Hurt. Man, we got some good questions for Pat P today. I think we got him. His record so far, out of 59 questions, he's gotten 40 right. Currently 68%. That's pretty good. Pretty good number. Last week, five questions. He got three right. Three out of the five last week. Pretty good. Pretty good. This week, I don't know if he's going to be in the pluses this week. (laughs) First question for you. Fullback, Danny Vitale, who who played for the Packers, the Patriots, and the Browns. He announced his retirement on what website? 
Yeah, I got this wrong already, Mac. I don't know. LinkedIn. <laughs> he did it on LinkedIn. So what he did was he announced that he was he was retiring. The, uh, the little friend thing on the uh, email. Yeah, yeah. The little <laughs> like the the yeah, it's like the job you know site. Yeah, he posted on LinkedIn. So what he did was he kind of you know, put up who he was. He graduated from Northwestern University with a degree in economics. He also earned a minor in business institutions, uh, integrated marketing communications. He's passionate about anything he sets his mind to. He's goal-driven, hardworking, and looking to improve on every aspect of his life every single day. So what he did was he just kind of made it known that he was retiring, but he also added basically a part of who he is to kind of create another opportunity for him. Mm-hmm. hashtag open to work. So a kind of smart way in trying to create another avenue, you know, when, when you retire from one career, trying to get another career started. But yes, he posts his retirement on LinkedIn. I think that's the first. So you got that yeah, one wrong. That, I got that wrong. Yeah. And speaking of retiring, uh, let's use this opportunity to talk about a current legend, a legend you played with, with a legend I played with whose announcement we've been waiting for quite some time on whether he will retire or come back. And that's Larry Fitzgerald. What do you think Larry Fitz will do? Hey, if he ain't retired yet, he ain't gonna retire. Oh, <laughs> oh. But the thing though is, Pat, this is this is the conundrum that I think will be uh, surrounding Larry Fitz. Will they have room for him in AZ? Cause you got D-Hop, you got oh, Christian God. Kirk, you got AJ Green, you drafted, remember, friend of the show, uh, Rondell Moore. I think Rondell went in the second round, Listen. if I'm not mistaken. You got Danny Isabella still. They got, uh, they got. Andy Isabella didn't even play Andy, last Andy, year. Andy, Andy Isabella. Yeah, Andy didn't even play last year. But you use a second rounder on Rondell Moore. Yeah. And you know you use a second rounder on a guy, he's not sitting down. He's going to play at some point in time. You never know over there. You never know. Okay. <laughs> well, with AJ Green, if he's healthy, you know he's gonna be in the lineup. So it's like where it's almost like they made so many moves anticipating Larry Fitz walking away because they went and added a high round draft pick at the wide receiver position and brought in a seasoned vet who is when he is healthy, he still can be a, a productive player. So I think I think they'll definitely find a way. They will find a way for if Larry wanted to come back. You know, late in the year or whenever, you know, whenever the, the time may permit itself, they'll find a way. What about this, though, Pat P? Let's say Larry wants to play Arizona. Like, you know, you said sometimes it's Arizona. You never know. Got to expect the unexpected. Have you heard any Viking buzz associated with Larry Fitzgerald? Nah, you know, he used to be a ball boy there. Yeah, I know. From nah, Minnesota. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. Um, you know, that'd be interesting, you know, if he if he would, would, uh, would want to come back to Minnesota. But now I, I, I necessarily don't see that happening. I, if it was a team that he was going back to, it would be Arizona. Larry, and and if you, I, so you're saying either he plays with Arizona or he don't play? Yeah. Okay. Or I can see him going to Tampa, too. One of the two Tampa. teams. Yeah. They group. definitely don't have no room for him. What he- but listen, at, at the end of the day, what Larry wants is a championship. Mm. Period. And I, you know, if that's because if you look at his, you know, last year, I think he played, you know, he missed a couple games. You know, I think obviously it was one of his lowest, you know, play counts in his in his uh, in his career. career. Yeah. But Larry understands the position that he's in right now. He he's not gonna go out there and give 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 you 40, 50 plays a game. Like he 
Like he's like he'll be in year 17. He understands he could probably go out there and give you a good 20 at least. And you know, why not it be with a system that you already know and in, in, in Bruce Aarons or mm-hmm. come back to um to Arizona to, to help if they able to make the run, help those guys make a push in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, we got to wait and see. He played in 60, 66% of the offensive snaps for the uh, Cardinals last year. Uh, we got to just wait and see. You know, and we've been waiting. I feel like, you know, obviously he won't be a down tight end, but, you know, you know the Cardinals don't have no tight end. So, if they, you know, I think he'll be a, not, and, and he won't be used as a tight end, but he'll be a, a tight end body type with, mm-hmm. with those mitch matches that uh-huh. he, uh, such as he did, you know, when, when when B.A. got here, moving him into the slot, moving him around a little bit, motioning him here. You know, Larry's a great blocker, too. You know, yes, he is. He's uh, always been. Blocker. So, yeah. And just having, you know, that presence in the room is definitely can definitely go a long way. So, you know, I'm just like you. I guess we just all going to have to wait and see. Wait and see. What happens uh, in the next couple of uh, uh, months. OK, well, you got the first question wrong, though. Yeah, okay. I did. Danny I Vitale. It's gonna be a bad week for me. He's saying coming. I ain't coming in excited today, so <laughs> <laughs> we got him. Then he's sleeping. Well, let's see. Talking about the Arizona Cardinals, Buda Baker is wearing number three because of which player? Allen Iverson. I knew Allen Iverson always was his favorite player. That was oh, easy. Oh, you had insight to that. Yeah, insight. So oh, yeah. let me give you guys an updated. Uh, uh, you got that one right. Let me give you guys an updated list of jersey changes in the National Football League. Darius Slay, he's wearing number two. Was 24. Leonard Fournette is wearing number seven. Chase Edmonds, 29 to two. Matt Judon is wearing number nine. Quandre Diggs, six. James Conner, number six. Byron Murphy, your former teammate, he's wearing seven. Mark Ingram, number two. Julio Jones, number two. Hollywood Brown, five. DJ Moore, two. Did you say Jalen Ramsey? Is that official? Yeah, I think so. I know I saw him wearing number five. I didn't know if that was official. I'm trying to figure out what number five. Did he wear number five in uh, high school? He wore eight in college. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I think it is official. Yeah. I, I guess I, you know, I would ask you which jersey number will look the best, but I think you're going to say number seven. So all day. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. <laughs> so hey, next question. I, do, I do like the number two, too. Because, you yeah, know, I wore that in high school uh, in Little League. That, that two, that, that eight, that eight smooth. That eight, that eight, that eight, that eight smooth. I like all single digits, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that eight smooth. Especially right. skill position guy. No doubt. That's what we're going to see a lot. It's going to take a little getting used to, but it's going to be fun seeing some of the different numbers in the in, in National Football League. All right. Celebrity boxing matches continue. Who did Lamar Odom beat up on Friday night? <laughs> With his saggy boxing pants. I ain't never hey, see. I ain't never I see a boxer had a sag. Hey, I did see it. He pushed that man down. I forgot who he fought, though. Man, it was like it was like it was like two drunk uncles fighting, and one of them had a little nasty sag. <laughs> the funniest part though was when Lamar. I don't know if he was letting him get off on him or he just let him gain some confidence. Man, but dog, uh, that was the most entertaining thing that I've seen on TV. Because I was watching on mute to my to my uh, credit, but I okay. did see the fight. I don't know who he was fighting. Yeah, he he fought Aaron Carter. Aaron Carter. Yeah. Hey, check this out. Lamar had a 10-inch height advantage, 11-inch. Who okayed that match? Hey, the only thing that saved him was him having that uh, helmet on, man. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, yeah. And it was almost like a nice nice clean left, though, right up under the He did. 
He did. And then it was like he was just kind of sunning him in the in the mat in the ring. He was just kind of mushing him with yeah, the glove. Yeah, he wasn't really yeah. hitting him hey, sometimes. I can tell you who was the uh the ref though. Who the ref was? Uh Chuck Icebox. Icebox. We might give you a half of that one. Yeah, I can't remember the guy, but I did watch the fight though. I yeah, just can't remember who he was fighting. Aaron Carter. That that's who it was. Yep. All right. All right, so wasn't your best effort. As you said, you came in kind of sleeping and we took advantage of you. That's why when you're playing on the island, you got to always be ready. Always be ready, Kat. Yeah, you got to always be ready. So either you got one out of three correct or one and a half correct. We got to go to the committee and see exactly what happened. Now it's time for seven questions. But guys, make sure you stay tuned. After halftime, Antrell Rowe will be joining us. So stay tuned. But seven questions is where we get a chance to interact with you the listeners and the viewers. If you want your question to be answered in the future, leave a question attached to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we may get to it on the show. This week's question comes from Real.DrewButler. Question for Pat P. Coming from Real.DrewButler. Shout out to Drew. Thank you for your question. With Julio out of the NFC South. Now, remember, Julio is now a Tennessee Titans player. Who is the top receiver in the NFC South and why has it always been Mike Evans? Now, it seems like Drew is a bit biased because he said it has always been Mike, Mike Evans. Evans, who's a straight I, dog. It definitely hasn't been always Mike Evans. But, I think over the last two years, Mike Evans took that title. Okay. Over the last but, two yeah, years. Right, yeah. So right now, it's definitely Mike Evans. No question. Hands down. So so when you look at well, saying... You know, also going to come down to you know, who's going to be quarterback and see if he can obviously continue that going. But if I had to take a pick without, you know, over the last two years, it was Mike Evans. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Mike Evans. But what about uh, Michael Thomas? I mean, Michael Thomas. I thought, my bad. Michael Thomas over uh-huh. the last two years has been his, it's been the best receiver in, in the NFC South. Yeah. But with Mike Evans having Tom Brady and having, much many more opportunities to be elusive and have many more one-on-one coverages. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Evans will will definitely take the title this year. And in 2019, uh, Thomas had Michael Thomas had 149 catches. Yeah, in 2019. Great. So clearly, in 2019, he was the best wide receiver in that division. 18, and 18 has some numbers too. He just 18, didn't have that many yeah, catches. 18, yeah, 18, he had some numbers. Yeah. yeah. He, you got to realize that's what led to that record-breaking contract right. that he received a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But right now, with Julio out and not knowing exactly uh, which direction the Saints will go at the quarterback position, hopefully it's our friend of the show, Jameis Winston, who we had on the show some episodes ago. Yeah. If you missed it, check our feed, check the YouTube page. It's there insightful conversation with Jameis Winston, but hopefully it's Jameis Winston. But if it's not Jameis Winston, you don't know exactly what kind of numbers Thomas will provide. But I'm with you right now, it's Evans. Mm. Right now, it's Evans, hands down. And it's safe to say, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have two of the top three wide receivers in that division. If you want to throw in Chris Godwin, who would be number three behind Thomas. in number two and with Evans being number one. So they got some talent there in yeah. Tampa. But thank you, Drew Butler, for your question. Like I said, if you'd like to have your question uh, show up in our show, make sure you leave a five-star review attached to your question and we'll try to get to it on the show. Now it's time for shout-outs. We also want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram at allthingscoveredpod.com. 
Each week we give clues for our next guest. And the first person to guess correctly gets a follow and a shout out on the pod. So we have to shout out Michael underscore MN19 for correctly guessing Derek Brown last week. Again, follow us at All Things Covered Pod for the very best content from the show. Now it's time for halftime. But on the other side of the break, we'll be joined by a Super Bowl champion, collegiate All-American, Antrail Road. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gents, we back from halftime. If you guys been following the show, you know how we rock and roll. We go into halftime, make a few adjustments. We come out of halftime with a key addition to our squad as well. We gave you guys a hint earlier in the show who it is. Outstanding individual, a terror in the secondary, played cornerback, played nickelback, played safety, both safety positions. And me and Pat, P, we were having some issues in the secondary in the first half. So we got went out and got a guy that can do it all. Spent 11 years in the National Football League, commanding hell in the secondary. Played for three NFL teams, Arizona Cardinals, the New York Giants, and the Chicago Bears. Super Bowl 46 champion, three-time pro bowler, 2005 first-round draft pick. I will not say it, but he went to Miami. I'm not saying what most people say about that program, but he went to Miami where he was an All-American. My dog, my road dog, man, my compadre, friend of the show, and Trail Road join us here. All things covered. Pat Peterson, Brian McFadden. Roll, how you doing? And I'm on with two letters. I'm good, man. I'm rocking. <laughs> hey, man, we appreciate you joining us, man. We know you got a lot going on, but let's start at the beginning. Before Antrail became a first-round draft pick, before Antrail became an All-American at Miami, how did your family and where you grew up influence your football career? Man, they, they were everything. You know, I just always wanted to represent the name on the back. That was that was my home. That was always my number one priority. Just go out there and give it everything I got, you know. I, you know, we all were blessed with talent. We all have talent, but it's about, you know, what we put into that talent, what we what we challenge ourselves with. Uh, I think that was a key to my success. My parents, my family, you know, my family has always been there from the beginning. You know, they never missed a game. Um, brother and sister, you know, was always in my corner. My sister went to college UCL. She's always there. My brother was always in my back pocket. So it was just us five, man. We always rock. So let's go back uh, to your high school days coming out of, of, of Dade County, a top graded top tier defensive back. I didn't know this, but you were locked and loaded to go to the University of Florida. What changed your mind and ultimately going to Coral Gables to Miami? Uh, listen, I was just locked and loaded on, on Florida just because I wanted something different. It's Miami, it made me get there. And then when I went to the Florida visit, I was blown away by it. And it was, you know, and looking back now in hindsight, a visit really doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to impress you. Man, I went down to one U.M. practice, and that was all it took. Man, I saw them boys, bang. And when I said, <laughs> I thought they were literally trying to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's break time. And, you know, I see Eric getting boys gelling. I'm like, hey, you know, they were just trying to kill each other. What is this about? Yeah. But I, just, I 
that's the intensity of their practice. That's how they made each other better. And I, I looked, and I'm like, I need to be right here. Right. <laughs> so what was it like stepping on campus as a freshman in, uh, in 2001 in that uh, in the University of Miami uh, locker room? Like, how was it? Listen, it, it was it was honestly like a, a, a surreal year. Like, you felt like constantly prove yourself. And I don't mean every day, I mean every minute of the day. Because right. those guys, you know, they, they had a certain standard that, that, that they played by, that they lived by you know, on and off the field. You know, they had so many things that were not mandatory, but mandatory, you know, and it was, and it was all player you know, self-imposed. And you just want to be a part of the guys, you know, want to go out there and I was one of four guys who didn't get red. So, uh, you know, my calling was special team. You got to go out there and try to be a dog on special teams by, by any means necessary. And took, I've never in my life took so much pride in being a special team, being a gunner, being a whole, uh, in my life, and you know, that was me and Sean T. Dog, uh, and you know, and, and we accepted that very much. And when we got in the game, they told us, We blow these cats out, we're gonna blow them out. When y'all get in the game, if they score one touchdown, y'all ain't playing no more for the rest of the <laughs> <laughs> Knew they meant that, you know, yeah. because at that much pull, even over the coaches, over the coaches' staff, like the, the players ran the team, right. and uh, but man, the leadership, the leadership was awesome all angles you know it didn't matter what position it was we had we had a, a a leadership and I think that's also helped me carry my leadership skills over to you know teams that I played for so Ro you've called Sean Taylor the best teammate you ever had what made Sean so special on and off the football field and what makes someone a great teammate uh first and foremost about Sean I just think that he had he possessed the talent that I think I've only seen once in his lifetime. It was with him. He was big. He was physical. He was a terror. Cover ground from any angle. He can go down and cover a receiver if he needs to. He's a he's a bruiser. When he hits you, he's gonna make you feel it. Mm-hmm. And people don't give him enough credit for his football IQ. The boy was a football player. Yeah. He found a way to get the ball. He found a way to get the ball. And when he got the ball in his hands, he knew exactly what to do with it. And what was it um, like? What with, with Shanti being there? Obviously, we heard so many great stories with Shanti. What what is some one of the one of the I guess one of the best Shanti stories you can give us? I think when the coaches realized who he was, he did something. Or put him like on on third team, and you know, Sean just took his helmet off, went and sat down towards the end of the bench, didn't say nothing to nobody. Then you know, coach called third team. Sean's line up, you know, deep. And by the time you say, hut, the quarterback, hut, all you see is just blur, right? It's just flat. He left the deep third safety and just, in his mind, he was like, I'm going to destroy any and everything. And they end up handing the ball off to Jason Ellis. And when he cut, when he, when he made contact with him, all you heard was, blah. Everything just came out of Jason Gellar's helmet. Every single thing. <laughs> every, everything. Ear pad, chin strap. I think face mask was broke. And I'm like, bro, you're supposed to be in third. He didn't care. He was he was that mad because the coach had put him on third team. He didn't pout. He didn't do none of that. He just went and sat down and was like, I'm going to make a statement. But of course, Shannon hadn't sent him in the locker room. And he came back and looked at us and said, that MF was crazy. Like, that, that dude crazy. <laughs> yeah, he is. But that, that's you know, Oh, I mean, that dude, 
since the age of six years old, you know, we started playing together when we were six years old. And then I remember we played on the same team. I remember we switched teams. I went and played Florida City Razorback, like South Dade Rams. And I was at running back. He was at linebacker. And the coach was like, 28 sweep, 28 sweep. And I looked over to the right, and I see Sean over there at linebacker. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, coach. Seven sweep, I'm going to the left. <laughs> hey, hey, you gave an audible? Man, what? Hey, I gave audible at eight years old. <laughs> but bruiser man that, that's always been him and and speaking of sean taylor i remember uh rolling you probably remember this ball game too the year we played miami twice we played y'all in the regular season then we played again in the, in the orange bowl and in that orange bowl matchup remember we had greg jones at the yeah. running back position and you know greg jones was whew, he was a load and oh, yeah. greg jones ran an iso came through scott free got to the third level and sean came up and that's the one time I saw Sean Taylor lose a battle. Greg Jones got lower, ran over Sean, kept going. And the very next play, I mean, like the next two or three plays, Pat P watching Sean Taylor <laughs> just go hit anything that was wearing the opposite color was a thing to see. It was a thing of beauty from a defender standpoint. But offensively, I mean, guys were just targets. You can tell Sean Taylor was so mad that he lost that battle to Greg Jones. The next two, three plays, he was hitting anything that had Garner and goal on, and he was laying into them. And, and you guys know how it is. When you play football, you play defense. Like LeBeau used to tell us all the time in Pittsburgh, sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you. Right. But when the bear gets you, you got to bite back. Got and to. man, <sighs> but Sean Taylor would bite. It was one, one place, and he didn't get a chance to get to the ball carrier. So he hit the closest thing that was to him, which was a wide receiver. They could be standing, looking at the play away from them, and he just go, yeah. I mean, he was lighting them up left and right. And I just tell you the type of the type of ball player he was. You know, if he didn't win a battle, like you said, Roll, he was coming. He felt some type of way he was on third team. And man, when he lost that battle to Greg Jones, boy, I mean, <laughs> Greg pissed him off the wrong way. And our receivers definitely pay had to pay for that price uh but when you look at your outstanding career at at miami uh being a first round selection you you dominated on the collegiate fields in college you covered one guy that's getting ready to go in the hall of fame and calvin johnson and you also covered larry fitzgerald when he was at the university of pittsburgh and you pat p listen to these numbers in two ball games against those two players calvin johnson and larry fitz Rowe only allowed 36 yards combined receiving so, Antrell, who was the better pass catcher on the college field based on your experiences going against them, Calvin Johnson or Larry Fitz? Uh, there was no comparison on the college field. Larry Fitzgerald all day. Larry Fitzgerald was, was, was an absolute dog. And not saying that Calvin wasn't, but Calvin was still young. You know, Calvin yeah. was, a baby, was a baby when I covered him. I'm sure, you know, if I covered him later in his career, it might have been a different result. But, um, you know, he was, still, he was still a youngster when I covered him. But Larry Fitzgerald was that dog, like, yeah. It, you know, he, he couldn't be covered. In my eyes, he couldn't be covered. So the only the only obstacle I had, the only thought that I had was, you know, going into that going into that game, my coach wanted to double cover him. And I told him, no, we're not double covering him. Like, I, I want a man-to-man. And coach like, are you crazy? Like, listen, I said, listen, it's either you let me play him man-to-man or you take him, you, you send another corner with him and let him have a shell over top because I'm playing man-to-man and I'm going to get in him. I said, I'm going to get in him. And he was like, what? I said, listen, if, if I'm not paying him man-to-man for somebody else in my spot, it's cool. But I said, I want a man-to-man. If he beat me 
make him earn it. Like he gonna have to show me that he gonna beat me. I'm not gonna give him the victory without him, you know, without me even being tested. I said, right. that ain't gonna happen. So what I did was I studied film all week. I studied film, studied film. Larry Fitzgerald wasn't a blazing guy. So I knew, you know, my strength was putting my hands on. So one thing I knew about Fitzgerald is if the ball touched his hand, it was caught. Like it was nothing you're gonna do, the ball was gonna be caught. So my whole obstacle that whole week was challenging was don't let the ball touch the receiver's hand. Don't let the ball touch the receiver's hand. His highest point, you couldn't jump with him. For some reason, he might not have the highest vertical, but his timing is impeccable. You remember Super Bowl. You know, yep. his time is impeccable. I, I, right there, I got his hand all, all in it, everything. He'll come down with the ball. But that's who Fitz was. So I couldn't let him catch the ball. And we just had a great game plan. And, and he was challenged. You know, we our, our, our goal with that game was to give it to Fitz. We didn't care about anybody on the team but to give it to Fitz. And, and he got it. You know, he ended up scoring at the end of the game. He went to the different side. And I think they ran like a cross around. He scored in the game. I was mad. I was <laughs> mad because I wasn't on him. Uh, but, you know, man, he, he was the best I've ever seen at a wide receiver position in college football. Yeah, Larry was on – I remember watching that game. Yeah, that was a, that was a hell of a game. Because you guys went down to Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Yeah, right. I remember that game. That was that yep. So, Ro, tell me this, because I had an opportunity to get recruited by Miami. Why does it seem like top recruits don't have the same interest in Miami uh, as they used to? Because they all going to Florida State? Well, uh, you know, well, he said it right, Florida State. Florida State and Miami pretty much on the same level right now. <laughs> they, yes. they, they, they ain't popping. They, they not popping right now. Nah, it's not the same. You know, and, and, and I'll be honest and tell everybody, it's not the same. Listen, when we played Florida State back in the day, we knew, listen, this game can go either way because they got some dogs. Right. They got some dogs. And then, like, like me being on defense side, right, and I know my offense. I know the receivers I go up against every day. Mm. And then I go and I see Matt Daddy at that corner. Then they end up getting the freak Cromartie at corner. I said, yeah. man, it's going to be a long day for these boys. <laughs> and it just seemed like everything was so poor. It's like their defense was intact. In order for you to beat them, like they had to be the ones to make a mistake. Like, because it was just, they scheme. It just seemed like it, it was just perfect at all times. I'm like, damn, like, are these boys really that good or is the scheme that good? But them boys play ball. So yeah. it was like that on both sides of the table, you know. Uh, offensively, they had so many weapons. And then when they got Greg Jones, it was like, man, when he when y'all came out of Miami, he, he he murdered us. He murdered us by himself. I think he had probably like 200 some yards. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that 02, it was that 02 matchup, 2002 oh. matchup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It was, it was bad. <laughs> it, it was bad. It was bad. But they don't carry the same weight, man. It's, it's the, the players are not the same. Their leadership is not the same. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of recruiting a guy because of the stars, four stars, five stars, this, that, and the other. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, but whatever it is, it's, it's, it's not converting to being a dog on the field. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not seeing enough dogs. You might have one, you might have two, but when we played, Matt, you know, we had 30, 40 dogs. Okay. We had dogs that weren't even touching the field. I, I think that 2002 matchup when we came down to Miami in the Orange Bowl, both teams combined to have like 35 pros oh, between us and Miami. 35 Easily. pros. Think about that. Easily. And might even be more. <laughs> yeah, might even be more. Yeah, we can talk about some of the young guns and some of the right. young kids. But yeah, we had like, it was 30 plus pros between Miami and Florida State. 
Yeah, but it's, it's it's not the same. But you know, when you when you have schools with such tradition, like you know the LSU's, the Alabamas, you know, guys are, are are leaning more towards those schools because they're producing. You know, even if they you know not sending a hundred first round draft picks, and you know LSU been killing it, Alabama been killing. It. Those guys have been consistent. You know, top tier for at least the last ten plus years. You know, they they're the epitome of college football. You know, the Clemson's of the world now. Those right. guys are playing ball. And, you know, when you get kids from South Florida, you know, we, we follow the trend. We follow, okay, let's see what's popping. Let's see what guys are selling. What Let's see, you know, and, and your program got to be booming. If it ain't booming, they're not going to gonna go just because it's the you, you know? And that, that, to, 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 um, to credit your response, I, I definitely agree with that because when I came out, it was – Two, between 2009, two, I'm sorry, 2007 and 2008 when I was getting recruited by Miami. Like you said, it wasn't the same, you know, because I was a, I'm, I'm a huge UN fan, was a huge UN fan growing up, watched every single game on Saturdays. But going through that recruiting process, it was like, it's, it, it feels a little different. Like you said, going to practice, seeing the guys, you know, wanted to kill each other. And at, next thing you know, they all, they all buddy, buddy, hanging tight. But once it's back in between those lines, it was totally different. And I just didn't get that same feel because I used to come down there and uh, watch you guys. Uh, I forget what they used to do with you guys. It's like the springtime when, when they used to let the fans and stuff come watch you guys. Uh, spring fest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think you remember this, but that's like around when that Nike camp had just came out and they used to host it at the University of Miami. Yeah. It used to be a great time coming down there and seeing all you guys, Sonors, you. Uh, I remember seeing Devin, Devin Hester down there. So to to credit your response, like I said, it was it it definitely wasn't the same. Um, you know, I think you know getting those guys. I think, like you said, once the recruiting process came, such a big deal. I believe they just started wanting to go after those five star guys so they can be a top ranked recruiting. Uh, right. But yeah, it, it definitely wasn't the same. That's why I didn't go there. <laughs> I, I, I feel you. I feel you because we we started having that drop off my last year. Yeah. Um, you know, I just noticed that the guys we were bringing in just weren't, they weren't the guys that left before me. Right. And they weren't like myself. They were, it, it was different. You know, it was a different ball game. And I, and I noticed it. I noticed it. So when, you know, when Miami started that decline, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Right. Let me, hey, Ro, let me throw a date out to you. See if you remember this date. November the 18th, 2007. What happened on that date? Mm. November, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> November 18th, 2007. 2007. I'm in Arizona at that yep. time. Mm-hmm. That's my third year. Yep. Is that, is that you Cincinnati should, game? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. You tied. Yeah. You tied an NFL record with two pick six in the same game off of Carson Palmer, uh, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback at that time. You a record setting day to say the least. I don't even know if a Cardinals player has done that since two pick sixes in the same ball game. Eric might have to check this. I think Rashad Johnson did it against Detroit. Two pick sixes in the same game. If I'm not mistaken. Well, during that day, the 1807 roll tied the NFL record right. that day with those two pick sixes. Do, what do you remember about those two plays? Break it down for us. The sequences of picking the ball off and taking them to the house two times. Well, it was supposed to be three. One it was supposed to be three. Yeah, I had three that game. 
they called one back. So it was supposed to be a record, but it got called back because Antonio Smith knocked Carson Palmer out. Oh, and the personal foul. Personal foul. Yeah. You supposed to have three? It was three. It was three. It was three to the house. Three. Yeah, it was three. Um, and, and, and that's that's still sting too to this day because I would I would have been you know in the books by myself. Now I gotta oh, share it with people. I gotta yeah. share it now. Yeah. But uh that game, man, I had a, I had a I had a little personal vendetta. I, I wasn't starting that year. I got you know I got demoted. I was uh I was a third corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach, you know, we had a new coach, Coach Wisenhunt. He brought his guys in. We wanted to play. I was like, cool. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to put my head down. This guy don't know who I am. But yeah. eventually, I'm going to get the opportunity. I'm going to show him who I am. So, you know, Chad, me, Chad and I had mutual friends. And he told, he told one, of my, one of my friends, oh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to give your boy that, your business, that business this week. But I can't really do too much to him because he didn't start. Yeah. That hit me a little different. Mm-hmm. It, 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 just, it just hit me different. It hit me, it hit me so different. So I, I got locked and loaded in on that film that week. I knew third, third and three to six. In a certain formation, they throwing that out to Hushmazada, no matter what. He getting the out. Yeah. He's getting the out. And it's gonna be a quick out. And I say one thing about Carson Palmer, he was so confident in his arm, he didn't care if you were covered or not. He felt like he was gonna get in there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was third and five. I see that out coming. So I played him, I pressed him. You were pressing, okay. I was pressing. And within the press, when he was gonna cut, I kind of eased off a little bit so I can get my foot in that ground and break. So when I break, I broke right up under that out. Mm-hmm. I got it, boom. I stiffed on him, you know, gave him a little whistle-dizzle, you know, gave him, gave him a few moves, got to the end zone. The second play, I was lined up at nickel. Um, I can show it, I can show like I was in free safety, but I already knew what I, I already knew what I had coming. I had to go down there, we're playing cover two. Inside route, you know, slant, letting let that number two go, go to number one. You know, back yeah, number one running the slant two, number two running the slant. Two. Yeah, they, yes, they come with a, they come with a double follow. I know it's no coming. question. Double they want you to take top. that number two so that number one can be wide open. So what I did was I followed that number two in a little bit and dropped them, and then I just dropped back. <laughs> Boom, another one to the house, gone. Then the last one I had to the house, I was at safety. You know, they get they were getting desperate. They were trying to score. Mm-hmm. I was at safety, you know, we got some pressure on Carson Palmer. He threw it straight down the middle. I was at safety, boom, I got it. Boom. That one was probably like seven yards, 70 yards. Took that one to the house and that's where the penalty came in because Antonio, I mean, uh, Antonio. who was it? Oh, uh, Antonio, Antonio, Antonio clean. He cleaned his clock. And it was, it, was a, it was a legal hit, but just because back then it was on the quarterback, yeah. we called a personal foul. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a nasty hit, wasn't nothing outrageous. He just, he just blocked them, but he, blocked, he got them good. Yeah. And you know they called it back, so I ended up with three, three interceptions with two touchdowns. Oh boy, boy, you talking about a day? <laughs> and that's the day. That's the day Coach Wizard realized who I was. Like I remember going to the locker room that day, and like I had tears in my eyes because I was so I was so angry, man. I was just holding in so much anger because I'm like, this guy benched me for one. They got me playing nine yards off. Had to play nine yards off, you know, the years before, and I'm like. I'm not, I'm not that corner, I'm a press guy. Right. If yeah. you let me do what I do, you'll see a different result. But, you know, nevertheless, I just, I was gonna find my way no matter what. One thing I always knew that I was a ball player. It didn't matter because I played nickel, I played safety, I played corner. So anywhere you put me, I'm gonna sell. So once they start letting me get around that ball, then they start figuring out who I was. And, and I always told myself, I said, listen, if I, get, if I ever get the chance, and it wasn't nothing personal, but it was personal. I said, if I ever get the chance, one day I'm gonna make him beg me. Mm-hmm. I said, one day I'm gonna make him beg me. 
So when that free agency came around, I got my wish. And they could have <laughs> they could they could have offered me the house. Honestly, I wasn't going back to Arizona just because of principle. You know, I felt a certain type of weight. I wasn't going back to Arizona. My, my mind was made up before any negotiations, negotiations even started. I wasn't going back there because I was a man of principle. I felt like I really wasn't given a, a fair shake. And then I end up making my way. And now you want me to stay. I say, but I'm gone. I'm, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna go take my time to South Beach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love it. So now you're talking about obviously in that in that 2007 game, you just alluded to playing different positions. You played nickel. You played safety. So what went into the movement in 2008 to you know to to turn your your career into a safety? Like, what was the adjustments? Like, what? What went into that thought process of finally moving from down to the line of scrimmage back a little bit more? So when I played at University of Miami, I played corner. You know, I was always pretty much like the boundary corner a lot of times. And I played, I always played against the number one receivers. And then I also played nickel. So I got used to being in action, you know, a lot of tackling, a lot of covering slot receivers. I was just more around the ball than just being specifically a corner. And uh, the way the Arizona Cardinals had me playing, they had me playing off a lot of the times. And I just felt like I was isolated and I wasn't, I wasn't showing my times. Like I wasn't, I wasn't getting around the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it just didn't, it just didn't suit me. And uh, at the end of the 2007 season, coach asked me, he said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to play corner or do you want to play safety? I said, man, listen, I just want to, I just want to be around the ball. Mm-hmm. Just let me be free. You know, let me use my football instincts. Let me use my film study. And I want to be around the ball. So then I just started playing safety and I played nickel a lot of times too. So um, I love, I love, I love when I made that change. It, it, yeah, I think it, it definitely excelled my career. And more importantly, I felt like I was able to, you know, to display my talents, you know, because I was a man who could play corner, who could play safety, who could play nickel, who could, who could do multiple different things. And uh, I think it let me excel who I was and show who I was as a person. So, Troy, give me, give us a little, the fans, because we have a lot of, Arizona fans on uh, that that's on all things covered. Is, explain your time in Arizona. Oh man, my, my time in Arizona was was a great time because uh, when I first got there, listen, we were horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 were horrible. Um, I was like, you know, coming from a program like University of Miami, and then you going to a losing program where you win in four games in a season, then you win in five games in the season. Like, man, what is this? Right. You know, I'm not used to this and. The players just got together. You know, we got together. Then we started getting more dolls and more people started coming in. And we just started seeing things form. And then we started noticing, okay, we're losing, but we're giving, up, we, we giving these guys some battle. Like these guys, like they, they feeling us. we losing, but they feeling us now. And then we just started coming together. Guys just started forming together. We started getting pieces. We started getting, uh, you know, perfect pieces to the puzzle. And then eventually, you know, we formed a team. We had some dogs on the offense side of the ball. We had some dogs on the defense side of the ball. And, uh, you know, we made that run. And we made that run, you know, we ran to those, to those Steelers, man, who also had a, a loaded team. That right. team, listen, that team shouldn't have been beat. You know, we gave them a run for their money, but that team shouldn't have been beat because they, they honestly, they were stacked at each and every position. Yep. And we were, the, we were the underdogs and we were just scrapping. We were a very, very scrappy team, but they were the better team. You know, and I, and I knew that. So that's why when we talk about that Super Bowl, I'm like, yeah, it hurt. But I'd rather take that hurt because if I got to lose that way, I'd rather lose that way a million times. Right. Lose that way by a miraculous catch. But I said, listen, they, they earned it. They deserved it. Yeah. You know, and you got to take your hat out to those guys, man. Like, listen, it was all, uh, you know, 
No doubt. And the thing I like about the Cardinals that 2008 season, they reminded us of who we were in 2005. You know, we, we barely yeah. got into the playoffs, but when we got into the playoffs, we were playing some of our best football. Right. And our confidence was super, super high. And Roe talking about when you first got to AZ, I mean, when you first got there, they only had one playoff appearance in 23 years. So clearly, you know, they were inconsistent, you know what I mean, wow. in the wrong way. But you guys all changed that and you had a big part to play in the change of the direction of the organization and currently where they are right now. And speaking of that 2008 championship game in Tampa, you were a part of two iconic plays, right? One was a Santonio Holmes catch you was on the field for. The other was a James Harrison interception return where you were on the field, but because of your body position, it kind of changed the direction of your teammate in Larry Fitzgerald. And oh, by the way, I'm happy you were standing where you were standing <laughs> because if you weren't there, the likelihood of Larry Fitz making that tackle Pat P before Debo got to the end zone was likely. And that yeah. helped us because we needed that play. But just talk about, because what people don't understand, Ro, for us being players, we know how it feels to be standing on the football field, watching the jumbotron and not realizing where you at because you're away from the plate. You were on the opposite side where the ball was actually placed at on the goal line. And ultimately the unthinkable happened. And now James Harrison is going the opposite direction, trying to get in the end zone. Take us through that play in that scenario, because when you watch the highlight, you don't, you see 21, but it's almost like you didn't realize where you were and who was around you. And Larry Fitzgerald had to kind of run that hump to avoid you to try to make that tackle. Right. So, man, it's, it's, it, it was a crazy turn of events, right? Like, no question. No question. Right before the halftime, you know, like, I don't know if it was just instincts. Or I, I don't know what it was. And I just had a bad feeling. I just had a bad feeling that something wasn't, was going to go down. Like, it, it just, I'm like, okay. We going into halftime. You got less than a minute left. You know, I just, I don't know. I just felt like something was just going to go wrong. And when I saw him drop back in coverage and get that interception, I was, I was honestly in shock. It, it felt like, it felt like, like my body went numb because I'm like, damn, you know, did I, did I speak this into existence? <laughs> you know, and I, it felt like my body went numb. And, and honestly, when I think about it now, I'm just looking, I'm like, I honestly felt like I was gonna go trip this dude. That's what I, that's what I felt like. That's what I felt in my body and, and, and I'm stopping myself. I'm stopping myself, but I didn't realize how close I was, you know, to, 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 the, to the boundary line. Yeah. But man, like, listen, when he got the interception, you know, people talk about the run back and all this stuff, but what I pay attention to on that interception is the blocking y'all have on. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Y'all beat our players up. Y'all, y'all literally manhandled them. And I was mad about that. I'm like, y'all manhandled everybody who was trying to get him, they literally manhandled him. And he left his jail, got bumped out of bounds. You know, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I happened to be uh, you know, in that in that space and he had to run and he ran it to me actually, kind of slow his progress down and had to run around and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. If, if he hadn't ran it to me, he definitely would have uh, would have caught Debo. But you know, I tell people all the time, yeah. That was a crucial turning point in the game, but we still went up, you know, in that game. We still went up. Mm -hmm. So no matter no matter what happens, you know, the game still played out exactly the way it was supposed to be played and, and, and the better team won. Uh, did we have a shot? Absolutely, we had a shot. But the better team won that day. And, and I can say, I can accept that. And, and talking about the blocking, the week of uh, preparation, 
while we were practicing, uh, we were practicing at South Florida, if I'm not mistaken. You know I how- I saw the footage. I saw yeah. the footage. You, you know how, I and, you, and y'all, y'all boys know how it is, right? Late in the season, you catch an interception against the scout team, you might not go hard to return it. You might get a little lazy, throw the ball back, get ready for the next play. So we were doing that. We were catching the ball and it was in the rain, but we wasn't returning. Mike T, Dick LeBeau, they called and said, listen, man, when y'all catch an interception, I need the cavalry in front of the ball, the man with the ball, and y'all run to score. Because if y'all do it now, y'all gonna do it on Sunday. And you know, we hear those things from coaches, we hear it, and it kinda doesn't really resonate like that. We're like, okay, we're gonna do what coach say do. So every, after that speech, every time someone caught an interception, it didn't matter if it was the first group, second group, or the third group. Whoever was on the football field, you caught an interception, you better go find someone to block and you return it all the way to the house. And literally, when that play happened, we got in the halftime, he's like, yo, that's why great coaches coach great teams. They put you in positions to be successful. You just gotta listen. And you talk about that blocking, that was a huge, huge point of emphasis for us because we weren't doing that on Wednesday practice, but that Thursday, Friday practice, every time someone caught an interception, we gotta go, right. we gotta go. I, I, I saw I saw the footage of that and I forgot, I forgot where they showed that footage, but I think they were going, going through the, the scenario of, of that play and how it happened. And then uh, they were showing the footage of y'all in practice, Yep, blocking everybody, running, crump, getting the man in front of you, knocking them out. And I was like, practice made perfect, man. No you know, that, that, it, it becomes second nature. And that's mm -hmm. all that was. When he got that ball, man, I saw y'all literally beat our guys up. You beat them up, made, made them look like little boys on the field. But that's because y'all were prepared for that. Yeah. So how did it feel being on the good side when Mario Manahan made that catch mm. on the sideline uh, versus uh, Antonio Brown making that catch in Super Bowl, uh, whatever. San Antonio, San Antonio home. Antonio, San Antonio home making that catch in the Super Bowl. Listen, man, it, it felt good to be on the other side for a change, man. Listen, it, it felt That was a great good. catch by Mario, too, boy. Oh, my goodness. The safety couldn't have played it any better. No he question. Couldn't have played, he yes. couldn't have played it any better. No question. So he couldn't have played it any better. And, and Eli, you know, he man, listen, that Eli, when, when the playoff Eli, is, is he, he's a different monster, man. He's a different monster. And and he just put that ball right there, right in that honey hole. Right in that sweet spot. And Mario, I don't know, I still know how he made that catch. And got both feet inbounds. Both feet inbound. Both feet inbound. Awesome catch on the outside of that shoulder. It just, it, it was just, it was just great offense beating great defense. That's what no that's question. exactly what that was. Hey, so Ro, go ahead. I was gonna ask Ro un, your unbiased answer. What which catch was better? Santonio Holmes or Mario Minahan? Santonio Holmes all day. Yeah, I don't think you can compare the two because Antonio Holmes, how he caught it, the defense scheme that we have for it, the the the, the, the timing of it is man. Listen, that, that's that's outside of to me, that's the best catch I've ever seen. You know, but the best catch I've ever seen was Odell Beckham. You know, behind oh, yeah. the head, it, that that that's freakish. That man, that dude freakish. He freakish anyway, but. The, the the best moment, like the pure moment of catch, Santonio Holmes. Hey, you know, hey, Ro and, and Pat, you remember when we had Brandon Jacobs on the show some months ago, we had a little back and forth, because he felt like the David Tyree catch- Yeah, was better. Was better, the helmet catch. But my argument was this, Ro. My argument was Santonio Holmes catches better because it was more skill. 
and structure than anything. That Tyree catch involved skill, but it was a lot of luck. A lot, a lot of luck. A lot of it was a lot of luck involved in that. You know what I mean? Like he probably could never do that catch over again if you paid him. But Santonio, just the toe tap, the hand placement, and if you look at where Big Ben threw the ball, it went over like three defenders. I remember Ralph yeah. Brown. It barely, it barely missed Ralph Brown's fingertips. Yeah, and it just yeah. dropped, and just it literally just dropped, man. And he he was stretched out like a, like a ballerina, man. Just listen, it's, it's like I tell people all the time: if I gotta lose like that, I will lose like that a million times out of a million times. Because what was the coverage I was in? Had <laughs> <laughs> look like don't make don't make don't make me talk about the coverage because yeah, uh, Rod Hood was on that team, wasn't it? Yeah, Rod was on that team. Rod was on that <laughs> what, team. What, what, was I like in cover two or cover four? What was the coverage? It was. It, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you be a corner. And I'm gonna let you dissect this. Okay. We was in a, we was in a box coverage. Yeah, that's okay. what it was. Box. And it ran. Okay. Hey, so, so, bro, bro, put your coaching hat, put your coaching hat on for us because we got a lot of viewers and listeners that might not know exactly what a box coverage is. So go ahead and put your coaching hat on and break it down for our listeners and our viewers. Okay. So for that, on that side, mm-hmm. you have four. And that guys. was to the wide side, right? That was to the, that was to the, to the field. Yeah, it, it was yes. to the field. Yeah. So uh, on the back side, we was pretty much playing kind of like a man to man with a guy hanging low. And mm-hmm. on the, on that side where the play happened, we were supposed to have a guy that's playing the flat, which mm-hmm. is the low guy, the low outside guy. We had a, a we had a high outside guy, which is supposed to be exactly where Santonio Holmes caught that ball. Then we have a low inside guy for anything that's coming underneath, and then we have a high inside guy. So. They played, they ran that play a couple times earlier in that game. Yep. And actually, the play right before that, right they before ran that they ran exact same play yeah, to the other side, side. Yep. And being yep. overthrew him. Mm-hmm. So the coach knew exactly what was coming and put us in the perfect coverage if the coverage was ran the right way. Yeah. The perfect coverage. So, mind you, we have a low outside guy and a high outside guy. They threw the ball exactly where the high outside guy is supposed to be. So the high outside guy went and tacked the, the lower route, the yeah. shorter route, and left he the hole. He attacked the shorter route. This guy just a little bit. He 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 attacked the shorter route when Ben Rosenberger threw the ball, dropped down low, and it left the open air. Francisco tried to do the best he can to try to come over there and make a play, but it was greatness. Yeah. It was greatness. That, That's that, why that. football is the ultimate team sport. You can have 10 people doing what they're supposed to do and one person not doing what they're supposed to do. It messes up the entire thing. Exactly right. It was exactly yeah. right. And well, uh, let, I wanted to bounce back real quick to uh, playoff Eli. Like, mm. how, like, what was different? What was the, I guess, the, the switch that went on for him during the playoff? Because he was a different quarterback in the playoffs versus the regular season. Oh, was man. It, like, what, what you think went into playoff Eli? Listen, I, listen. I, I wish I wish I knew the answer to that, but but I, but I don't. I just know that you know Eli. He he has a certain demeanor about himself, and people people they misunderstand Eli. You know, they think he you know because it's, that's just his look. That's just the look of the man. It's like he can't do nothing about that. But Eli is honestly one of the definitely one of the most prepared guys and, and confident guys I've, I've ever played with. And more importantly, I know when that time comes, he, he's gonna ride. And, you know, I, I never really had experience to play with him in the playoffs, but throughout that playoffs, I'm just seeing a, a different guy. I'm seeing a more rugged Eli. I'm seeing a tougher Eli. I'm seeing a dude that is willing to stand the paint and endure whatever beatings he is going to endure in order to make sure his team is successful 
And that's the Eli who we saw during the playoff. It was a guy that there was no holes ball. He was standing in the paint no matter what. And, and listen, I've never seen a quarterback get beat up as much as I saw Eli get beat up playing against San Francisco. They demolished him. And that San Francisco kept, defense were tough too. Oh my God. <laughs> they had oh some dogs. Yeah. I kept I kept saying to myself, that's it. I, he ain't getting up. He ain't getting up. <laughs> I kept saying, that's it. Oh man, they keep getting to him. That's it. And Eli, get up with that look, shrug his shoulders, fix that, and come right back. I was like, I was like, he made me a fan that day. I was all, I always liked Eli's quarterback, but he made me a fan that day. I was like, that's a bad white boy. I said, boy, that's a bad white boy. <laughs> hey, listen, and, and you know, he carried us, man. He carried us, just his mentality, his leadership. Like, I don't think Eli got enough credit for, you know, I can't speak about Super Bowl prior to what I was there, but yeah. the Super Bowl that I was a part of, he played a tremendous part. And I'm not just talking about just what he contributed on the field, I'm talking about also off the field. So is Eli so, Hall of Famer? Yes. He First is balance. Wow, for sure. He yeah. is definitely a Hall of Famer. He's, he's earned that right. right um, he's had that career. I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Oh, I got a good one for you then, Ro. You play with another Hall of Fame quarterback in Kurt Warner. So if you had to take one, who you taking? Eli or Kurt Warner? <sighs> um, I think I would. It, it, it depends on what, what, what are we talking about? We're just talking about just straight quarterback. One game. You need one. You need to win one game. Because oh, you talked about playoff Eli going to a whole nother level. I'm, I'm, and I'm Kurt Warner, it. you know, I'm, did some I, pretty I've, good things too. I've seen, I've seen one game. Kurt Warner. I've seen Kurt Warner, um, you know, we were playing against Green Bay. It was just nothing that we can do. You know, it was just nothing yeah. that we can do. And Rodgers was, I'm talking about, put, Mac had some coverage sometimes. And I, I, I honestly felt bad for Mac that game because his coverage was so tight. Mm -hmm. When I tell you so tight, it was so tight that it couldn't be any better. And Aaron Rodgers was throwing that ball, the back of the receivers, yeah, he no was question. throwing to the ankles. I'm like, there's nothing that you can do. There's honestly nothing that you can do. And that guy went into a mode, man. I was like, I went, we went into the court. Kurt, Kurt, you gotta keep scoring, man. We, 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 <laughs> we ain't gonna stop him. And he kept I'm scoring too. Yeah. That, 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 you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't know he was even capable of that, but I was like, Aaron Rodgers is something different. But no I will still have to go with for one game, I'm gonna take Eli. I'm gonna take Eli for one game. I'm gonna take, and, and that's a very, very hard decision to make because. You know, the surgeon, Kurt put that glove on, he go to work. <laughs> that little, side, goes, little saggy he, glove. He go to, yeah, he go to work. But I just think that, I think that if you put Kurt Warner in the game against San Francisco, mm. I don't think you have that same outcome. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I don't think, I don't know if Kurt would have been able to endure what Eli endured in that game. And that's the only reason why I make the decision that I said. Yeah, because because that was you guys were in San Francisco that playoff in, game in San Francisco right? in San Francisco and they yeah. had them boy, they had them dolls on that yeah. Justin oh, Smith, man. Patrick oh. Willis, Bowman, Alden Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Uh, they had uh, corner name uh, Ro um, Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers. Yeah. Thirty-eight. 38. Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun. Ghoster. Yeah, who, who are coming Dante, in that head first. Uh, Dante, Dante Whitner. Yeah, Dante Whitner. I think Amon Brooks was on that team also. He had oh, nothing. Brooks, Amon yeah. Brooks. Brooks was on that team, yeah. 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 
They I was surprised. I, I, honestly, I don't know how y'all won that game. Anyway, I was surprised. <laughs> it was a it was, it was drop punt. It, it was boom, two, two of them. Yeah, two. He dropped two, two like back to back. It, it was a battle. It was a battle of defenses that game because yeah. we knew they had, they had a kicker that honestly, if they got to the fifty, he it was a possibility he could have made a kick a sixty seven yard field goal. It, 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 it was possible. It was yeah. possible he could have made it. So we we as a defense, we were like, listen, we can't let them cross half field. We can't because if yeah. they cross half field, they won't just keep kicking field goals. So mm-hmm. it was a defensive battle the entire game. Yeah. yeah. Hey, last question for you, Ro, before we transition to the superlative part of this show. I know you're still much involved with the New York Giants. And currently, you know, the expectations are getting higher for the ball club this season with all the additions they've made offensively and defensively. Um, you know, you look at another year Daniel Jones will have under his belt. You get a healthy Saquon Barkley back. Uh, you know, Bradbury play your good football. You sign Odori Jackson. You got Leonard Williams. Um, you know, Galladay was a big acquisition from the Detroit Lions, what are your expectations for the Giants this upcoming season? And what do, do they need to do to turn the corner? I, I think, I think uh, you know, in Judge, they have a, a, a coach that they believe in. I think they have a coach that understands them as, as an entirety. It's time for them to get back to playing ball. It's time for them to get back to winning. I think they've had so many losing seasons at this point with a lot of key players that, can put you in a position to win, but I think it was just about them judging as a team. And I think they, they found themselves throughout a lot of the parts of last year. Guys are still young. Then, you know, Saquon Barkley going down, that hurt them tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with the key additions that they have, and I think now with, you know, you got Logan Ryan back there. He's playing some good ball at safety. You got Jabril Peppers. You have Bradbury that that played just as well as, you know, pretty much any corner in the league last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, not, not maybe – having the, the, the splashes of a lot of corners, but man and man, you know, he played a lot of good ball, a lot of pass breakups, and that's huge for a corner because that's hard to do. You know, we all know that we've all been on that island. So I think now it's, it's the, the guys that they've had there, the Ingrams, the Sterling Shepherds, I think those once those guys play to the level of expectations that we all think that they can play at, and then with the key additions that they have now, I think they can be a team that can be, the, 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 they can be a team to be reckoned with. Yeah, Do you think, think Daniel Jones is the guy? Yeah, I was just about to say that. You about to ask that Not question that. with great minds think alike. You think yeah. Daniel Jones is the guy? I think I think Daniel Jones. I I, I I can't say he's the guy because you know it's only been two years for him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see some great things from him. Then you see some times when he get pretty sloppy. It seems like he forces a lot of passes. Right. You know he has to do better with protecting the ball, and uh, you know they, they show you know he put a little muscle on you know, in the offseason and stuff like that. Do I think that's going to transition to football? Uh, I don't really think so, but I think his mindset, who he has, who he needs to be uh, for that organization and, and who they expect him to be, I think he has the skill set, but I think, you know, he, he has a lot of work to do. He needs to do a lot of studying. He needs to feel very comfortable within himself and believe in himself that he can go out there and get it done. And I think he can be the guy, but I don't think he's the guy just yet. So long story short, this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. It has to be. No doubt about it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I think his biggest problem is, like you, like Antra alluded to, is just turning the ball over. I mean, oh, no question. You can't you win if you turn the ball over. Check the ball. And obviously, missing uh, Saquon Barkley is, is a huge you know, dent in, uh, in, in, in the offense. But as a quarterback, you can't turn that ball over because you're giving the opposite team more possessions. So if mm-hmm. he understands what he what he needs to do to in order to put his team in a winning position, 
which is converting on third down, putting the ball in the right place and, and limiting those turnovers, I think he can be the guy because he got all the athletic ability. He's mo- a little, you know, he got a little bit of mobility in him, very strong arm. I think the offense fit uh, with uh, uh, Jason Garrett being there as the offense coordinator. I think that Taylor makes his game a little bit. It's just going to come down to Daniel Jones. No question. Turning the ball over. If, if, if he falls on his face this year, not literally speaking, yeah, but just from production, they're going to look elsewhere no doubt about in 2022. It. I think right now the NFL is only giving these young quarterbacks three years. Yeah. You got three years to really show you can you could be the future. You know, we saw what happened with the Jets and Sam Darnold. I mean, you got three years to show, you know, what they can, you know, hang their hat on your shoulders to be successful. If not, they're going to be looking elsewhere. So I agree with you guys. I think this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. Now we're going to transition to the superlative part of the show. Ro, we want your unbiased, honest answer. First question for you. Hurricanes Mount Rushmore. We had Santana on the show a few episodes ago. I'm going to read you his Mount Rushmore, right? His top four players to ever play for the University of Miami. He had Michael Irvin, Gino Toretta, Edgerin James, Ed Reed. So who is your Mount Rushmore of Hurricane players? Okay, so I'm going to go two off. I'm going to go two defense. I'm going to go two offense. Gotcha. So for defense, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Shanti. Uh huh. Um, I'm gonna take Dan Morgan. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take Dan Morgan. Uh, offensively, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey was a bad boy, man. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the the, the collegiate Ken yeah, Dorsey. So you're taking Ken Dorsey out of when you look at all the iconic quarterbacks, you know, Kurt, Kors, Bernie Kosar, Gino Toretta. Jim Kelly, you taking Ken Dorsey over all of them? I think his collegiate career is better yeah, than theirs. Do I think he possesses the same talents or you know make transitions to NFL? No, but his yeah. collegiate quarterback, his, his collegiate quarterback career, I'm taking Ken Dorsey. And just because, oh well, you know, I, I might be a little biased just because I know Ken Dorsey was a six-five skinny white boy leading a whole team of brothers, and he was a general. Mm-hmm. He was a general. We followed what Ken Dorsey wanted. Like he was a general, and for me, that spoke volumes to me because I've never ever seen that before. I didn't see that before. Yeah. And uh, and, and, and you know, we we follow suit. Um, and then offensively, I'm gonna go. I don't rush more. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take. I want to say Andre Johnson, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna take Santana Moss mm-hmm. just because of his ability. At wide receiver, also his ability at part return. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Dan Morgan, Sean T, Santana, and Dorsey. Right. Okay. Best atmosphere you ever played in. Ooh. It could be college or in the league. Ooh. Um, best atmosphere I've ever played in. Ah. Uh, I'm not gonna say Super Bowl because that's that's obvious. Right. Uh, I would probably have to say either Seattle. Mm-hmm. Or Philly, yeah, both of those. Philly, 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 they they get wild in Philly, especially at night. They be they get rowdy during the daytime, but nighttime it's something different. It's, it's different at night. They oh, get no wild out there. <laughs> yeah, they get wild out there. All right, next question for you. Oh, this is a tough one here. Start, sit, cut. Who you starting? Who you gonna sit? And who you cutting? You got Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, Frank Gore. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, listen to me with this one. Okay. Are we talking about college 
We're talking about college. Yeah, college, college. We're talking okay. about college. Before Frank Gore got injured, he was the best I had ever seen till this day. I heard that. The best, listen what I'm saying. The vision, mm-hmm. cuts. Yeah, he was cool. The best I've ever seen till this day. Never seen nothing like it. Till this day, I've never seen nothing like that Frank Gore before he got injured. What was so, so special the, about him before the injury? Man, he, man, he, I, I, he was just different. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't the fastest guy, but you weren't going to catch him if you go. You couldn't tackle him. You couldn't tackle him. That was the only running back ever in my career I could not tackle. Yeah, and I'm talking about I have a clean shot. I have a clean shot on him. And it's either he, he, he cut off of both feet and he never slowed down. It was like a, it was a smooth, it, it, it felt slow, but you could never get him. <laughs> yeah. You could never yeah. get him. And then he'll get you off balance and hit you with a stiff arm. Mm-hmm. Then he ran, he ran literally this low to the ground <laughs> and never changed speeds. Never changed speeds. Some players, they'll give you this and have a shift and this, he never changed speed. When he cut, he never changed speed. So. I'm gonna start Frank. Start Frank. Okay. Sit Portis. No, we're talking about college, right? We're talking about college. (laughs) Everybody healthy. Hey, Ro, everybody healthy. No injuries. Because McGay had a a season, well, a a devastating injury in college also. So everybody healthy. No, no scratches. Yeah, man, McGahee, that season, McGahee had, oh mm. my goodness. Yeah, he had like seven mm. touchdowns against Virginia Tech or something like that, I remember. Oh man, nah, he, he, so he, he, he carried out some, he carried out some. Shield McGahee. <laughs> I'm, I'm st- I, I just, I'm, I'm still gonna have to, I'm gonna start Frank. Gotcha. I, I'm gonna sit Porters, I just, it's just something about that sweetness. Porters, Porters, he's, he's just sweet, man. It was, it was, he was smooth he too. Porter's was smooth, man. Porter was just a great combination of all of the both. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And then I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to cut Willis. I'm gonna have to start. I have to, I just have to settle for it. I can see that. I, I, that's, okay. that's the right I would have. That's a tough one. That's a yeah, tough it one. is a tough one, but that's the right oh, I would have. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, your first purchase after signing the richest safety deal with the Giants. Uh, my first purchase. Well, I already had everything I wanted. Yeah, I've been saying you already had it. <laughs> but hey, but it ain't nothing like when you get the second contract. Right. Bro. You're right. <laughs> right. Oh, man. I, I can't even remember, honestly, at that point. I, I don't think it was nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. Uh, yeah, not nothing crazy, man. Because, you know, at that point, once once you have your house and you have your cars. Yeah, and, you know, you had, like, that, it, he had the red Mazda, the, the red Mazzi. Hey, I still got it next to Rob. Hey, smooth. Hey, you still got your old school, too? I still got the dunk. I still hey, got Pat, the Pat, hey, he got a nice dunk, Pat. He got a nice dunk, Pat. I already know, man. We from Florida, man. That's what we saw and grew up. That's what right. The, hey, Ro, what you had? The 4Gs on there? What was it, 4 Giottos? I got the 4 Giottos on there. Yeah, I got 26 4 Giottos on there. Hey, yes, what, what, what I need you to do, text me a picture of the dunk, and then when we actually sure, officially sure. drop this, we're going to have it in the YouTube show. All right, I got you. I yeah, got so we're going to put the dunk. He got a mean dunk, Pat. You ain't never seen his dunk, huh? I think it's blue, right? No, no, it's red. It's can, candy apple red. Candy red. I don't think it's I mean. I what you got underneath, underneath the hood, Roll? It's a uh, it's a five oh two. It's one big block. It's one. Yeah, it's one. It's the big block. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, so uh, since, you, since you already had everything on your on your on your uh, richest contract, so I'm I'm actually another one. What was your best interception? 
Your favorite interception, not your best one. Your favorite interception. My favorite interception. They could be in practice because we know a lot of a lot of great interceptions happen in practice. Oh, People don't even yeah. see it. Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. Yes, uh, but probably my favorite interception was against the Rams. It was against the Rams. It was 2008 season. Um, I started off, you know, at the beginning of the play, I started off, I think, close to the line of scrimmage. I was roaming. I was roaming at, at, at nickel. I was roaming. And I started off at the line of scrimmage. And by the time the ball was, by the time the ball was hiked, I was like midfield. And then I ended up all the way back. It ran like a deep post. I ended up picking off that ball. Uh, against the Rams, and that was probably my, my my that was probably my favorite intercession, just because I worked so hard, and you know what I mean, like that 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 wasted energy. I worked so hard trying to disguise and everything like that. Once I got the interception, you know, I ran it back for probably fifty yards. But if I wasn't so tired, I could have definitely took it to the house. But right. I think that's probably my favorite. That was probably my favorite interception. Let's do it. Mm, good. Hey, I got to throw this one in there, bro. Best Blu-ray player you played against? Who? <laughs> the Boo King himself, Mac Daddy, baby. <laughs> Mac got that. Mac got the title. I give it to him because you know what? I, I've never seen Mac. Man, Boo Mac is the only one at that table sober, man. man yeah, yeah. He's so hey, hey, my fault. Y'all want to get uh, want to play cards under the under the influence? <laughs> hey, my fault. Hey, but hey, 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 Pat P. Hey, no question. <laughs> Hey, we already trying to put something together in Miami. We're going to have some boo, boo players. Roll already gave me the insight. Pat P, I need you there. Yep, yep. <laughs> hey, we're going we gonna to have a nice little weekend, a little shindig oh, yeah. together. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? We're going to hey, find man, a nice location. I'm going to be down there for the Rolling Loud, the 23rd through the 25th. When, when y'all thinking about doing this? I'm going to uh, be down there from July 23rd through the 25th. And I'm gonna be gone. My my son got a uh, the World Jiu Jitsu tournament in Orlando on the 24th, so I'm gonna be gone then. But we'll 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 do this on my school. We got we got, we got time. We we got time. All we need is like a good two days. That's it. That's a day it. and a half. That's it. Oh, get yeah. everybody down That's there, it. and and somebody gonna get Bop City, and we gonna <laughs> we gonna break bread together, and we gonna boo each other. Oh yeah. Oh, we yeah. gonna boo each other. Trap down there too, man. I ain't seen trap in a while, man. Yeah, let, hey, let's get all the boys together, man. Let's get all the boys together, man. Have a boo ray festival, man. Boo ray festival, man. Oh yeah, that'll hey, be good, cool, man. Thank you for joining us here. All things covered. Pat Peterson, Brian McFadden, man. Pleasure is ours. Definitely insightful, entertaining conversation, man. Friend of the show, you're always welcome to join us at any given time. And don't forget to send me that picture that don't. And we're gonna keep people, we're gonna keep people involved about this Blu-ray date that we're gonna have set up and let everybody know who's gonna be there. Nah, I appreciate y'all, man. Love y'all boys, man. All right, Joe, say that, my guy. Thanks again to Antro Road, and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back soon where you can expect all things to be covered. Peace. Peace. Peace.